Let's talk a little bit about being alive with drama or living with clarity. Have you ever noticed that drama carries a certain energy with it? There's a certain aliveness that comes when there's drama. I mean, there are some people that are wired for conflict, for drama, and they are maybe not in their own lives, but they love to talk about your drama. And when they talk about it, they, they come alive. They're animated. Their voice elevates. They're, they're engaged. Drama can feel very alive until you've had too much of it, until there's too much of it in your life. And then over time, the very thing, you know, a good argument, robust discussion between a husband and a wife goes on too long, and it's no longer energizing and engaging. Now it's exhausting. Some of you have been having the same few arguments over the same few subjects for a 10 years, 15 years, it's the handful of subjects that most people argue about, and it's not gotten resolution. And when you first talked about it, you were really engaged, you really wanted to be understood, maybe you even wanted to understand, but now when the very subject comes up again, you just kind of blow out your breath. It just is exhausting to re-engage that same issue. Now, drama can feel alive. That's what God created middle school for, so that we could come alive. They're not supposed to be in the rooms. I can take shots at them, all right? No. I mean, you, you remember what that was like, though? Like, when you'd hear a story, you get a little bit of, of, of an insight, a little secret about somebody else, and there's some energy there and nervous excitement, and now you can jump on Facebook, and you can get everybody's drama there, and that's fun, or you can watch reality TV, and there's lots of drama. Drama almost has the same impact on us that, that rebellion has on us as we're growing up. Rebellion can feel like freedom. And man, when you step out and you're like in your head, you go, I'm not going to do it no matter what she says, no matter what he says. You feel very alive in that. That's why it's very difficult for parents to talk to rebellious kids because that kid has never felt more alive than when they stood up for themselves and said, no, and they meant it. And it can feel very alive. And yet over time, it almost is always exhausting. Rebellion almost always doesn't produce freedom. It almost always produces pain for that person or the people around them. And so rather than feeling alive with drama and just energy produced in the room through relational dynamics, what I want to challenge you with this idea today is, can we live with clarity? Not just drama, but can we live with clarity as a way of, minimizing that drama that drones on in our lives. How do we do that? And here's a, just a couple of basic truths if you want to take a few notes. It's, it's not in the Bible necessarily. We're going to get there in a second. There's a couple of observational things that I as a pastor ha- have, have discovered as an adult trying to wrap my head around. It's not a truth that I love so much, but here's the first one. You can't control anyone else. You have a hard enough time controlling yourself, or at least I do. You can't control anybody else. So if getting rid of drama in your life is a function of you controlling somebody else, that's the way you perceive it, we're already going down the wrong road. It's not likely to produce lasting results. When my kids were babies, toddlers, young children, I had a certain amount of control. As they got older, that began to give way to a different dynamic. I can't control my wife, I've tried. Honestly, it doesn't work. She doesn't enjoy it, and I don't get the fruitfulness that I would like to have out of the efforts. I can't control people in this church. I have a hard enough time controlling me. So drama 
and, the, and minimizing drama in our lives and getting clarity and living with purpose can't be dependent on what other people do. So what I want to talk with you about today is since we can't control everybody else, what do we do with us? What do you do with you? Some of you are in the middle of relational like chaos, drama. And, and like me, you, you probably have taken a few steps towards trying to minimize the drama, bringing clarity to the, to the chaos by managing the dynamics a bit. And, and you can get a certain amount of return on that, but that's a much better way to approach the drama areas of your life or the areas of your life where there's high potential for drama than just going after controlling everybody else. And that is to take responsibility for yourself. This is a biblical term, biblical idea. It's like deeply theological. You only go a few pages into your Bible, and one of the first things God does for people is to give them the gift. This is going to sound funny. But he gives them the gift of personal responsibility. And it's a theme that's carried all the way through our Bibles. That one of God's greatest gifts to you and me is our ability to take responsibility for ourselves. And in doing that, here's the good news, having the ability to let go of taking responsibility for everybody and everything else. Now, just so, so we're clear, I want to give you a kind of a working definition of irresponsibility. It's up on the screen. Here it is. Uh, you'll like this. It, I, it took me weeks to come up with this. Irresponsibility is, I don't take responsibility for what I'm responsible for. That's supposed to be somewhat of a joke. You know, I overstated. It took me weeks. So this is not a complicated term. You know what this word means. Irresponsibility. I don't take responsibility for what I'm responsible for. That's all I'm talking about. That's all we're going to talk about today is this notion, this idea of taking responsibility and not taking responsibility, not for them, not for him, not for her, but for me, personal responsibility. See, God has given you the responsibility to bring clarity out of the chaos of your life. We do this all the time at the beginning of the year. We look at our lives and we say, at the end of the year, the picture I want at the end of this year is I want to be 20, 30, 40 pounds lighter. I want to exercise more. I want my money managed better. I want my marriage better. I want to spend more time with the kids. What we've done is we've looked at some drama and wanted a clearer, better picture than we were currently experiencing. So at the beginning of a year, we say, I'm going to make some decisions so that by the end of the year, I'm in a different place. We get clarity. And I'm just challenging you to, real, to, to realize and embrace and actually benefit from a very biblical idea that you and I cannot control anybody else, but we can. In fact, we have to. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me, let me just be clear. You don't even really have the option not to take responsibility for yourself. Because that responsibility to take responsibility for ourselves comes to us from God. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, part and parcel with him being the Lord of our lives is embracing all that he has for us. And a big part of the picture of what he has for us is for us to assume responsibility for those things that we're really responsible for. This is a big part of growing up. 
parents, you know this, your children are maturing when they stop acting like children and they start assuming responsibility for things that are theirs. Here's what makes it hard. As a culture, this is not a shared value. It's a biblical value. In fact, here's a place in the Bible where you can see it very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, just as a way of kind of whetting our appetites up here on the screen. Here's what the Bible says. When I became a man, when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. The Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and he's trying to get them to step into a process of growing up. And to do that, some of the ways of childhood have to be put back. When you do that, you're growing up. And the clearest indicator you're doing that is you begin to take a responsibility for you. Now, the problem is, is we live in a culture that I think is becoming less and less responsible. Less and less responsible. Now, I don't peddle in politics from the stage. Right? That's not our role here. Our role is the Bible. But you don't have to go very far in our cultural debate to see both sides of the aisle screaming across the aisle saying to that side of the aisle, you're not taking responsibility. And our entire culture, I believe, majors on the rights that we have and the privileges that we have that our Constitution gives us, and we minimize the responsibilities that go with those constitutional freedoms that we have. But biblically speaking, the only path to freedom, really, is for you to take responsibility for you. And to the degree that you and I don't take responsibility for ourselves, eventually we don't experience freedom. We're shackled. This is what happens when I used to teach high school and I would talk to a a ninth grader, tenth grader, and they're kind of maybe struggling a bit socially and discover that maybe they're taking a few substances into their body that they shouldn't take. And I'll say, well, tell tell me why. They almost never have great clarity on why. But eventually we're able to turn that conversation towards, well, where's this thing really going to go? Where's it really going to go if you keep doing this thing? Because clearly you can. You have the ability to do it. The question for you becomes, should you do it? Should you? Which is really a question of responsibility. Clearly you can go get another credit card. Clearly you can eat your third Big Mac. You can't. You can, right? There's a lot you can do. But should you? How do you get a person to move from the freedom that, f- that the word can gives a person to the responsibility personally of should? Now, if you're a parent, you know how hard this is because you're trying to push the should onto your children. If you're a manager, you know how hard this is. You're trying to push the should onto the, your employer, employees, Parents, how do your kids enjoy it when you push the should, and you have to, on them? It's not very fun. Managers, bosses, how how do your employees like it when you have to come in and something that was not going well has to be fixed, and now it's time to bring the should into place? And we don't enjoy that. As a culture, we don't like it. And it gets worse because bad behavior is contagious, especially when other people see when people see others getting ahead despite their bad behavior. Well, he didn't do it and it didn't seem to cost him. He did the irresponsible thing and he seems to be. And in a culture where 
affluence is the norm, it's very easy for responsibility to take a dive. But you want to know where irresponsibility is the easiest to see? Irresponsibility is the easiest to see in someone else. In fact, irresponsibility is almost impossible to see in the mirror. You can see when somebody else isn't being responsible. You have 20-20 vision there. You know it. You can into it. Doesn't take much evidence. But it's almost impossible to convince somebody else they're not being responsible. I want to take you to that place in the Bible where God gives us this incredible gift of personal responsibility. It's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Now, we're going we're gonna to read this passage in a second, but before we do, I know that not everybody embraces the first few chapters of the Bible as true. All right, yeah, that's fine. We've created a church where people have questions and are skeptical about those things. You have to believe what I believe. But, but I just want to make a couple observations here. Whether you embrace these words we're about to read about the beginning of the world and the first humans and God's interactions with them as historical or not, I just want to challenge you, even if you don't embrace them as true, I'm going to ask you for just a moment to put that aside and look at how incredibly insightful they are. Incredibly insightful. Because I believe they're inspired. I believe they're, the, the scriptures are a gift from God and we can rely on them. Now, I have some tension points with that, but I believe we can rely on them. It's easier for me. But if it's hard for you, let's put that aside for just a second. And I want you to see just how incredibly insightful these passages are because we're going to read, first of all, God talking to the first humans and giving them an incredible gift of responsibility. And then, and then we're going to turn the page, like literally turn a page, and we're going to look and see what they did with it and then how they responded once they were being confronted with what they did with it. Right, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, here's what the Bible says. Then God said, Let us make mankind, humankind, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Here it is. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Go make babies. Their first rule, go make babies. Kind of why we're doing that sermon series, love and respect. Fill the earth, and then here it is, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Historically, theologians have looked at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. They're right on your screen. And they call this the divine mandate. God gives humankind its purpose. You have a responsibility, God says. No rules other than go make babies. And a lot of personal responsibility. Rule, subdue, manage the earth. Interesting. When people in any group a family, a church, a business, take a lot of personal responsibility. Guess what you need less of? Rules. But where people don't take personal responsibility, guess what you need more of? 
rules. So right here at the very beginning, people are given a lot of responsibility. Rule, manage, subdue the earth, take care of it, maximize it. They're given a a limited rule, go make a lot of babies. They're going to be given one other rule, enjoy it all, just not this one small little one-tenth of one percent of it. But they have a lot of responsibility, the the biblical, the theological mandate from God of why he created humankind. Here's something I've observed, that you and I have been created for responsibility and we're happiest when you, you're happiest, I'm happiest when we manage it well. You know what one of the biggest, most painful things if you've been out of work for a while is and you're a man? You, you worry about what everybody else says about you, of course. I, I, I hear that. But when you're out of work and you're looking for work, what, what you feel badly about is, is that you can't provide for your family. A- and you want to provide for your family because you feel good when you provide for your family. And when you don't, nobody has to tell you you feel bad. You know, my, my wife, um, she, she really relishes in her role as a mom. She's a great mom. She's a great mom. My kids don't always mirror that back. Sometimes my, the gap between my, my wife's great mothering and my children's great childering, um, there, there's a gap there. But it's incredible. It's incredible the joy she takes in assuming her responsibility to be a mom. And when it's going well, nobody has to tell her it's going well. And when it's not so great in our house... Part of the tension and the drama comes from the idea that we're asking very serious questions. Are we doing well? You feel great when the things that are on your plate that you feel are your responsibility and you're managing them well. And when that's going on, you can take feedback. You can engage honest conversations about performance. You can set goals. But when you're not doing, and nobody has to tell you, when you're not doing what you already know you need to be doing, it's incredibly difficult to have a conversation around the most simple things. You know why that is? It's not because you were trained well. It's because God put into every human being the desire to fulfill his or her responsibilities well. Now, we can debate what those responsibilities are, and as I said, our culture is having a debate I think we're, in some regard, to some degree, really raising up an entire generation or two of people who aren't prone to taking responsibility, and our societal cultures are actually cultivating the wrong side of that, and I think we're, in some ways, we're headed to some real honest and difficult times, but for Christians, more than any other group in our world, we, as we take responsibility for what's ours, We not only enjoy it personally and feel good about ourselves, we honor God. It becomes a part of our our Christian walk. It's powerful when you take responsibility. I've sat down with marriage couples who who are struggling, and the first conversation almost always goes the same way. And I can't point a finger at them so hard. I just want to describe it because I've been here. And you say, what's really going on? And you let him talk. And you know what's going on when you let him talk? Do you know? I don't even, do you know what it is? It's her. That's what's going on. And then, of course, you, know, you let 
her talk. And do you know what's going on when you let her talk? I mean, really, you know what? It's him. That's why I don't do counseling anymore. Because it's very difficult to get that to turn to this. And it's easy to blame that, isn't it? Because you've never done it. When your kids didn't turn in homework while I was their teacher, it was never their fault, was it? You want to know where that comes from? It's inbred in us. It's part of the fall. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and let me tell you a little bit of a story, and then let's read about what the first family did with this mandate that God gave them to rule, subdue, manage well. Make lots of babies and avoid the one tree. Do everything else you want to do. So they enjoyed it for some period of time. But then at some point, that tree got the attention of a wife named Eve and a man named Adam. And the Bible says that together, so for those men that want to blame the woman, they were both there. Both there, engaging, looking, like desiring. And there was a conversation that the imagery used is kind of out there, but there's a conversation between a serpent and Adam and Eve about a fruit that they're not supposed to eat, supposed to avoid completely, not engage, not look at. And here they are standing there on the brink of a decision. And first the woman takes and eats, and then the man on his own free accord, she didn't shove it in his mouth, he on his own free accord takes and eats. And then they do instantly, they realize they break the rule. The shame that often comes, comes, and they feel that. And then in the next few verses, God shows up. The one who gave them the mandate, the incredible responsibility and enjoyment to make a lot of babies and avoid the one thing with a lots of freedom in between. He shows up and they hide. Here's another little observation about responsibility. When you don't do it, when I don't do it, we have a tendency to hide. We're not as forthcoming. We're not as transparent. Shame often goes with irresponsibility. And when shame is introduced into a relationship, it's very difficult for that relation to be vibrant and healthy. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, here's the conversation. God has come down and says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I've hidden myself because I was naked. And in Genesis chapter 3, 11, and God says, who told you you were naked? Adam, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then Adam said, yes, I did, Lord. And I take full responsibility. Please do not look anywhere else. The fault is mine. Now you're laughing. Those of you that aren't laughing, you should read your Bibles. You're laughing because... You know that's not what happens. Adam says, the man says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The woman, she, and not just she, look, look at the subtlety here. She, the woman, the woman, you, God, you gave her to me. Not just her, but God, you. You're the rule maker. It's obviously you too. Anybody in that triad of God, Adam, and Eve, anybody but Adam, it's the woman you gave me. God, you gave it to her, or gave it to me. 
She gave me some and then I ate it. And then the Lord looked at the woman. What's this thing you've done, the woman? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. All the way back, isn't this just incredibly insane? Whether you embrace these as true or not, I do. Let me tell you why I do, just a little side note. Later on, hundreds of years later, Jesus is in the New Testament and, and he's talking to people and he uses these verses as if they're true to talk about marriage and, and the validity of marriage and boundaries with marriage. And so he, he, he leverages this story as if it's true. And, and honestly, because he did, it's good enough for me. I still have some tension points now and then, but at the end of the day, whether you embrace it as accurate or not, it's incredibly insightful that all the way, this very, very ancient book, all the way back, identifies what is a basic human tendency. Irresponsibility leads to blame, and blame produces conflict. And this is the source of a lot of the drama in our lives. Someone, somewhere, hasn't taken responsibility. Someone, somewhere, didn't live up to the agreement. Someone, somewhere, didn't fulfill his or her role. And when it's time to own it and be called out from the hiddenness, the easiest and most natural place to go to is blame. It doesn't matter how caught a person is. I want to show you something interesting out of Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. We're just kind of continuing in the passage here. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. It's interesting that anytime someone else acts irresponsibly, someone else has to shoulder the burden of that responsibility. Adam and Eve made their own choice. They chose not to go along, and yet here's God now having to clothe them. God has to cover them. In, in our family, the expectation is, is that the kids are to a large degree responsible for their own clothes. But it's not unusual to walk into the bedroom and see stuff all over the floor. Now, my kids don't know this. They're not doing this consciously. But in effect, here's what's happening. When they choose not to fulfill their responsibility, they're asking their mom or me to fulfill the responsibility for them. And they don't think of it that way. They just drop the thing on the floor. It doesn't make it into the clothes hamper. It doesn't make it worse. But really what they're doing is they're saying, Dad, Mom, I'm not going to do my responsibility. You do it for me. So on occasion, I haven't done this often, but on occasion, when we come up against one of these moments, dishwasher not emptied, clothes not done, I'll do it. I'll do it for them. Because it has to get done. When somebody doesn't fulfill their responsibility, somebody else has to step in. Some of you are working with somebody right now, and they don't fulfill their responsibility, and you're covering and it's just exhausting. And that drama that that produces, that conflict that that produces. So on occasion, I'll like call my kids up and I'll say, <clears throat> close on the floor. Oh, yeah, no, 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 don't touch it. I, wa- I want you to look me in the eyes and I want you to just say, Dad, I don't want to pick up my clothes anymore. I expect you to do it for me. And of course, they don't want to do it. They want to, no, 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 don't, don't touch it. Don't touch the clothes. Don't touch it. Dad, I don't have to pick up my clothes. I don't have to take responsibility. You do it for me. Now, when it's that stark, of course, nobody embraces it. But let me, every time you don't take responsibility for what's yours to be responsible for, and you blame someone else, in effect, whether you did it uh, intentionally, verbally, overtly or not, you have said, I'm going to let somebody else shoulder my responsibility. 
Now, here's the truth about that. That is relationally destructive. It's the husband or the wife who's having an affair, and then it comes to the surface. And you drill down as a pastor. Right? Help, help me understand. There's almost always some shared responsibility, but of course, they're doing this. And then you hear somebody say something like, well, we've just grown apart over time. All right, all right that happens. We've grown apart. That, that's a... That's kind of a natural thing. That can happen. But at what point did that give you the freedom? At what point were you free then to go and have sex with somebody you weren't married to? It's what happens when you look at, at, a, at a kid and say, all right, you know, I'm not the perfect parent. I don't always do everything right, and there's room for me to grow. But at what point were you able to just totally ignore? I mean, when did you get empowered to totally ignore? Those conversations are very difficult to have, but what we're basically doing is we're begging the question of the challenge of irresponsibility being lived out. Here's what I've discovered with God, since, you know, that's who we're talking about here, not us. God is not moved by excuses. He's moved by faith and obedient steps that we take to make the most of our responsibilities. This is what makes repentance so powerful. God, I blew it. I failed. It was mine. I understood. And I did it anyway. We're not blame shifting. We're taking responsibility. We know we can't cover that on our own. And so we're asking the one who can to help us. This is how habits get broken. Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm a, then you fill in the blank. I take responsibility for me. I don't blame everybody else around me. Paul wrestled with this in the churches that he was trying to lead. How to get people to take responsibility for them. And to live with the clarity that you are responsible for you. Now some of you have responsibility for others. But that has limits, doesn't it? So Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Here's Paul kind of wrestling with some of this and talking about it to this church at Galatia. Brothers and sisters, he says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. You may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, yeah, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Help people. But then he says, if anyone thinks there's something when they are not, they deceive themselves. We have a tendency for deception. And then he says, each one should test their own actions. Carry each other's burdens. But listen, you test yourself. Even in the church where we're prone to help and cover, we can't remove somebody's responsibility to each one test himself or herself. And then, and then in a good way, he says, then that person can take pride in themselves alone, the good kind of pride, not the bad kind, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So when you blame others, you give up the power to change. If somebody else is responsible for your extra 40 pounds, 20, 10, 
then you've given up the power to change. Somebody else is responsible for your financial situations. You've given up the power to change. Somebody else is responsible for your spiritual condition. You've given up the power to change. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote powerfully on what it meant to be a disciple, said. Actions spring not from thought, but from readiness for responsibility. So how do we very quickly move from blame and chaos to responsibility and clarity? Just a few sentences. We won't spend a lot of time on them. This year, as you enter conflict, drama, personal, interpersonal, work, church, school, instead of using blame as a crutch, ask yourself, am I taking responsibility for myself right now? Right? I know it's her. I know it's him. I know it's them. I know it's my heritage. I know it's my parents. I know it's the church I was raised in. But just ask yourself, am I taking responsibility for my life right now to the degree that I can? That question will take you way down the road. It will begin to bring clarity in the middle of drama. I can't control her. I can't control him. But am I taking responsibility for me? Number two, ask yourself, in what way is this irresponsibility working for me? Do you want to know why people are really irresponsible? Because it works for them to some degree. I feel like Dr. Phil up here. How's that working for you? But it does. And it's only when we stop and ask, how is the payoff of my irresponsibility working for me? And am I really happy with what I think it's giving me? That we begin to honestly look at. Imagine, imagine how different the world would be. I don't know. I mean, I, I can only go so far with this. If Adam literally had said to God, yes, God. I blew it. I wonder what would have been different. So define the temporary rewards that you're getting from your irresponsibility and then like remove those from your life. This takes work, so practice here makes perfect. But behavior changes you make now can begin to lead to heart change. Next time you want to point the finger... Ask yourself, what can I bring to the conversation identifying my responsibility? You can begin to bring some clarity to the drama. It's incredibly empowering to identify your fault and blame first before somebody else has to point it out. I learned with my parents over time that if I went to them and admitted my failures on the front end, the punishment, the discord, the drama was severely lessened. This is what God asks you to do, brothers and sisters. God, I'm sorry. I blew it. Your rules say this. Your law says this. Your wisdom is here. Your heart on the matter is this. And I'm not walking in step with that. God, would you forgive me? I hear I bring all of me. And would you, would you search my heart? You know why David was able to survive in the Old Testament, David? His adultery and murder because he goes to God and he says, search my heart, no more hiding. And if there's the smallest wicked way in me, help me get rid of it. God, whatever you do, don't remove your spirit from me. So I want to ask you to thoughtfully choose your consequence here. Accountability and responsibility or chaos and drama. That's what's at stake this year for you. Responsibility and accountability, which brings clarity, or irresponsibility, which brings drama and chaos. 
So with that said, let's take out our connect cards and take a few steps together as a congregation. I'm going to give you a chance right now to bring significant clarity to your life through the most important decision I think you could ever make, and that's the the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus. So every week we ask people to take out their connect cards and to look at Next Step A, which says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. I want to give you a chance to say, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. I, I choose wrong. I avoid right. I hide. But today I'm bringing all of that honestly and truthfully before God and asking him to just forgive me and then to lead my life. The biblical words for that are Savior and Lord, forgiver and leader. And here's what I'd ask you to do. Just take your pen there and check next step A. And when the offering bucket comes by at the end of the service, just put that card in the offering bucket and we'll communicate with you. You're not joining our church, you're not doing anything that's committing you. You're making a decision for yourself to walk with Jesus as the leader of your life. And we'll send you an email about that. In a moment, we're going to pray. You can kind of talk to God with your own words. God, forgive me. Or here's the next step B. Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. You're going to go public with your faith. You're going to hear me talk more about that this year as we try to make sure that those people that are accepting Jesus are going public with their faith. So if you haven't done that, check the box. We'll answer your questions, get you signed up. Here's a passage we can memorize, next step C. I'm going to memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 11. You may already have this to memory. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. I think when you take God's word and you begin to hide it in your heart, it helps you to walk the right way. Some of us, men and women, need to, you know, grow up a little bit. Here's next step D. Just a prayer I'm offering. I'll send it to you an email if you check the box. God help me to embrace all of my responsibility. Where there's drama, give me boldness to look at myself and wisdom to know what to do to change. God help me embrace all my responsibility. Where there's drama, give me boldness to look at myself and wisdom to know what to change. Here's the next step, E. I'm just going to throw it out there and not spend a lot of time on it. I wonder who in the room would say, Ben, I heard what you said about the love and respect and the Fifty Shades of Grey and all that, so I'm going to pray and consider leading a 4C love and respect small group, and they'll start Sunday the 15th and the week after. You got some time? You're not committing, but you're going to pray. You're going to let me email you and just talk a little bit about that. So if you lead a group for us, you simply open the book. People have read their chapters, and you ask some questions. That's it. And we'll give you the tools and equipment to do that. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you've created an environment where we can come honestly with our brokenness, with our sins, with our faults. You've encouraged us to be responsible, but you've created an incredibly soft place to land for us when we do that. You love us. You embrace us. You pick us up when we fall. And God, so many of us have hopes and dreams for this year. And we're going to try. We're going to make a few steps. But we're going to fail too. God, I pray that you would give us incredible boldness to be honest about our failures. Take responsibility. And you give us wisdom to begin to change the things that we need to change in us first. Lord, I want to pray with those people that are declaring Jesus Be my Lord and Savior. I confess my sins. I accept your death and resurrection on the cross. 
God, I pray that you would raise up small group leaders all over this room who would help people move forward in their marriages, that we would elevate your values of genuine love and honest respect for human dignity. And we come to conversations around sexuality and the erotic with those values, not the values that the world tells us will bring us, will bring us pleasure. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.